The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. They're tangling in the back of the pack. Here they come on four. Down to the strike. Kyle Busch won the season opener at Talladega. DeGroote was second. He's the reigning champion. It's the iRacers download. Cardwell hoping it stays green. He nearly spins it around. Who's it going to be? Cardwell, Berkeley, or someone else? Where reality meets the virtual world of auto racing. iRacing's executive director, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think that NASCAR is starting to see the value and the opportunities that can present themselves working with iRacing. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Taylor Burris and Justin Prince. Welcome to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. My name is Justin Prince. Alongside me is Taylor Burris with our producer Richard Colbreth as we bring you another edition of the iRacers Download. It's been another busy week when it comes to racing across the service with several world championships making their way towards the summer stretch and others looking to find a way towards some of the hardware in line. One of the top discussion points for today, and our first one in fact, will be the Porsche Tanker Esports Super Cup, which on April the 25th, seen one Zach Campbell pick up the victory he is the first driver to pick up two feature wins throughout the first six rounds of the campaign. He now joins us here with the iRacers download in what has been a very busy campaign. Zach, thank you very much for taking the time to join us once again. First of all, congratulations picking up the feature victory last time out. Second feature win in six rounds to start. Yeah, no worries, man. I mean, it was a hell of a race. I, uh... Yeah, that was a little a little too exciting for my liking, but uh, yeah, picked up a second one uh, on a decent little streak here, and uh, you know, pretty pretty happy with how uh, how that went, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can roll that into the next few weeks here. That race being at the Circuit of Spa Franco Shop, where Campbell picked up the feature victory over Cooper Webster by three tenths of a second. Kevin Ellis Jr., Jamie Fluke, Jordan Caruso rounded up the top five that day. And it's always been intriguing when it comes to the series in Spa, with it being a very draft-heavy track, but also a very technical track. How was that preparation like, knowing you had to balance out the very high-speed sections up the hillside, up the Kemmel Strait, but also know you had to set up the car to be able to execute in Sector 2 to be able to be quick towards Blanchem under the final chicane? Yeah, it was a lot of preparing just how we were going to react in traffic. Uh, it kind of the way you set up the car for clean air and the way you set up the car for dirty air is really different. Um, so we set up the car one way, kind of the first, because the way we do things is that we'll set up the car for race from the first week, then really kind of hit on Q trim the second week of practice, just with two weeks between races. And what ended up happening is we actually ended up having to revert a lot of what we did setup wise uh, in that second week, just because the car did not feel like it needed to in traffic. It's really about maximizing your two high-speed corners because the two places where you can really pass are down into Lacombe and down into uh, the last chicane. And to really maximize that, you need to be quick through Radion or you need to be quick through Blanchemont. And you have to run the car really, really loose and just kind of sacrifice what you got to sacrifice through the technical part just to have a really good shot at getting a good run through those two corners. Um, and really, it's about just being able to set things up because there's a lot of dirty air. And if you can get the car to set up right and set down properly through those two high speeds, you can really set up your run. So it was a lot of really just focusing on that and really focusing on our timing. Uh, Draft-wise, uh, the track is really draft-heavy. I think you'll see these last four tracks are really draft-heavy. 
And so it's a lot of just figuring out how we can set up the car to really time the runs how we needed to. And it's been intriguing as well, the developments you have had as well as a driver yourself throughout the season, of course, new to this respective series, this campaign. The first time out in the hot lava with incident points round, essentially, you were towards the back half of the field most of those races. But since then, you've gone in quicker and quicker, it seems. How was you mentioned some of those setup changes, for example. How has that also impacted yourself adaption wise to competing on the road course level at the pro side in the pro level, should say? Yeah, I mean, I think progressing from last year, really joining Coanda was a big thing away from previous team with Apex. Not to say they were bad, but just ended up not being kind of the right fit competitively with me. Um, being able to kind of work things through with the Coanda guys has been huge in terms of development, especially mentally. Um, I mean, obviously, we started off slow with Hawk and I ring, but I think everyone was trying to adapt to a new car, a track we'd never been to before, a track that I personally really struggle at. Um, and so really just building myself up has been the biggest thing and really just being able to adapt throughout the season to really kind of work off Charlie and Dane's data, especially, and kind of bring things towards a head where I can almost strategize because um, really in testing, I'm not as quick as my teammates. Um, I definitely don't think that raw pace wise, I'm anything special. It's just a matter of, okay, how fast can I get myself to put myself in a position to succeed on Saturdays? Um, and that's really just kind of been the focus the last, you know, two months since Hawk and I bring is just getting myself in position on Saturday more than in testing. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Of course, for the past few seasons before this season in 2022, iRacing and the Porsche Tag Heuer Esports Super Cup have been utilizing the original Porsche 911 GT3 Cup car that was added to the service several years ago. Now it's a totally different car, just like we see also in the eNASCAR competition with the Porsche 992 GT3 Cup car. Your thoughts on the two differences between these two cars, as well as the level of competition, because... We've been seeing some drivers who were dominant a season, several seasons ago, really struggling to get to pace with this new car. Yeah, I think the old car had, a, I mean, obviously had a lot less downforce and a lot less tire on it. And I think the biggest struggle with that was almost to kind of get the car around the track. And so you saw a lot of guys with really good car control and really good um, tire management really be able to succeed. Um, you had to be really slow on your inputs, really smooth. And so you saw especially at tracks where uh, grip is at a premium, like your Barcelona and your Silverstone, you saw a lot of guys who could really hang on to the car and really kind of drive it within its limits um, succeed a little more. Um, and I, I think you saw a lot of guys with smooth driving styles really succeed. I mean, that was something I struggled to adapt to last year was really being able to get smooth, especially under braking as the car set down. Um, I struggled with that all year, and especially towards the end of the year, I really started overdriving the car. This car is a lot more like a GT3 and that you can be really aggressive on your inputs. Um, for me, it was a matter of being able to really just get, get down to it and really kind of discover with the extra downforce what I was able to get away with. Um, and so I think it suits me a little bit more just because I feel like you can lean on the car more. Um, I can really set it up looser and be able to work with the car more than having to um 
grind into driving a certain way. I can kind of drive how I want to, which is a lot different than last year. Um, and so, you know, that combined with having to manage tires a little bit, um, I think with me not having, um, you know, the raw pace of some of these guys, I think the fact that I can just manage things a little early, tire wears a lot heavier this year. Um, the car really goes away over the course of a race. So the fact that I can sit back and then really push and really kind of build throughout the race is also huge and let the race come to me, which just typically suits me better. And so I think that's why you've seen guys who are really hard chargers um, really become kind of better in the series versus the guys who have really focused on being smooth. Because I feel like if you're smooth, you're not maximizing kind of all this car can give you. Well, you certainly have been able to maximize on that, collecting two wins this season, as well as also four top fives, five top tens, and an average finish of eight with 15 laps led this season. As we approach the last few rounds of the season, we have Nürburgring, Le Mans, as well as Monza for the championship rounds of these final three. Your thoughts on these three very historic but very different tracks. I mean, you have two very high-speed tracks such as Le Mans and Monza, and then probably the most technical circuit of all time, mostly, I would have to say, the Nürburgring Nordschleife, where it's going to be very interesting to see how drivers are going to be able to work together as well as also try to separate themselves from their competition when we get to that circuit in two weeks' time. Yeah, I think... Nürburgring especially is going to be tough because of the aero push in the car and really having to manage your tires. Um, I think it's going to be the one where I think you'll see raw pace most come to the forefront. I think qualifying is going to be really important there. Um, obviously, you have the Dottner and um, just a huge long straightaway where you're going to see drafting and, and three and four wide. Um, but Really, I, I think it does rely on a lot of raw pace there, and I think it's going to be pretty similar to some of the races we've seen um, already this year. Um, I wouldn't suspect it'd be a whole lot different than Spa. I think it would just kind of string, maybe string out a little bit more, kind of throughout the midsection, just with guys who are faster being able to pull away. Um, or, you know, if there's a slower guy in front, someone getting stuck behind and checking everyone up. Um, and then we look at Le Mans Monza, and they're extremely similar. Um, a lot of long straights into slow corners. And I think last year, um, with me going from 15th to third in the feature at Le Mans, and then uh, at Monza going from dead last on the grid uh, after getting taken out in the sprint to, I think, P11 or P12, um, I, it's really all about managing. Uh, it's a lot about telling, kind of be, being able to figure out um, what holes you have and where you can go. Um, and I think that suits me as a driver a little bit more in terms of figuring out what, what you need to do in terms of timing and being able to time your runs and do things um, in, in a way that is very defensive in how you uh, work your offense, um, if that makes a decent bit of sense. But uh, it, it's it's really a mind game when you get down to it. I don't, I don't think raw pace matters a lot there. I mean, I was uh, maybe seven, eight tenths off my teammates going into Lamar last year, and I finished on the podium. Um, so it, it's just really about how you work around other cars. And I think that that becomes more important than pace more than anything. These last two races, especially since the main thing also too, mind you in the championship standings, the points leader entering the final few rounds, Diego Pinto 
has not picked up a feature win with 371 points. You have Kevin Ellis Jr. with 359. Sebastian Job, who's been up and down all campaign with 348. And yourself within the championship contenders with 340. What's it going to take in turn to be able to jump ahead of Pinto, especially with Pinto's consistency throughout the campaign? Um, It's really going to take just solid finishes. Um, Diogo has really managed to do something that not a lot of people can do in this championship and really just not have a bad round. Um, you know, I think me, Sebi, and Kev have all had our bad rounds. We've had our mistakes. Um, I think Kev, much less than me and Seb, um, has been able to really succeed and capitalize on the days that, you know, may not be going as um, as well as he'd like. I think Diogo's managed to keep his nose clean, um, which has been honestly the hardest thing and really hard to outperform people when they're finishing up front. And so the last few weeks, me, you know, all, all of us four have been within 15 points scoring one another. So it's really hard to make movement. So I think going into these last few races, Diogo, if he keeps on this, it's going to be hard to topple him. But I think it's either going to take a mistake from him or just simply good cue points finishing well in the sprint, and then being able to work your way up in the future. Because a lot of what we've seen is that Diogo maybe hasn't qualified as good, maybe hasn't finished as good in the sprint, but he can really finish well in those feature races, which is where the majority of the points are. So the fact that he's able to take that invert and move forward has been huge and very crucial compared to if you look at Montreal, where you know I won the sprint and then ended up just being stuck in the feature and not being able to go forward. Um so it, it, it's going to take just being able to work your way up in the future, I think, more than anything. Um, and with this car, it's kind of hard. It's going to take a lot of aggression. Um, and I think you'll kind of see the aggressiveness ramp up as really we come down to it and points become few and far between. It's been definitely intriguing how things have been faring out in past competition. And one real quick question to mention, too. It was also... During the time you were in another championship battle with the Winstall Gen 4 Challenge in the stock cars, curious on your take on what happened in that championship fight where you were in contention, and then it essentially came down to speeding penalties for the points leader, and then the last last pit stop sequence of the race where you came down and the eventual champion did not. Yeah, so really, I signed up for that series because I'd known those guys for five, six years, maybe. Uh, all those guys over there, like Brennan and Tyler um, and, and Christian, they put together a fantastic championship. And really, I signed up for it just to improve my racecraft a little bit. Uh, ovals are so racecraft heavy when it comes down to it. Uh, and so really being able to kind of find things over there has helped me throughout, really, with my road racing and being able to kind of take all the things that I'm learning from oval and move that over and really take those lessons from those races as well and move them over to the, you know, I don't want to say more important stuff, but the more important stuff, uh, the stuff that mm -hmm. pays the bills. And so in that race, um, really it was, um, just, you know, out there for fun. So, you know, battling for the lead with Sean there and just decided that I was going to do the opposite, whatever he did and, uh, just see what happens. And so, you know, we pit, uh, wasn't really even thinking about the championship for the uh, mini season there at that point. Uh, and so, you know, we, we took that and, you know, obviously 
didn't work out. You know, I thought it'd work out if we got a few more green flag laps in, but uh, had a blast on those few restarts just trying to get through as many cars as I could. It's definitely been intriguing seeing that balance where for some in your in the past side and part of the reason to refer to it is a lot of drivers go hours upon hours to focus on the test. And then there's the balance seen from a lot of the drivers such as yourself, more so on the NASCAR side, where it's the balance of having the serious training, but also having those races and series you do for fun. Yeah, I think. A lot of guys really do hunker down and focus. And I want to say that, you know, I, I do too. I put in 20, 30 hours a week really to get ready for these races. Um, but I think a lot of guys almost kind of don't do a whole lot of self-analyzation. Um, and so for me, I felt like my racecraft needed to improve. Um, and so really I was like, well, what's the best place to learn racecraft? Um, and so really being able to join a series like that, where it's low pressure, I can hop in, you know, do the 30 minute warm up for the race and then hop out, go bang out a key lap and then go race. Um, and really race in a fun environment with a lot of guys that I've known for a while. And so that's, that's helped more than anything. And I think you see guys as well, um, just trying to get practice, you know, Sebi and Kever in their, uh, battle in Porsche Carrera Cup, uh, Great Britain, um, going to that championship finale, I think in two weeks time. Um, and they're, they're focused on that too, because they really want to kind of build their skills through that, um, as well as win that championship. And so I think, you know, I, I took a different approach, just have a little more fun, a little less pressure. Um, you know, I, I think it's different strokes for different folks. You know, I, I don't, one of my weaknesses is that I don't particularly do very well if I'm taking it too seriously or if I have too much pressure on me. And so just keeping things light, being able to have fun every week. Um, and not really hunkering down too much really has been a huge, huge help and a huge service to me. It's going to be intriguing how things fare out for the championship fight for Pasco over the next few weeks. It's going to be intriguing how things fare out, as you mentioned, for the other series, keep in mind, that you have, including the Carrera Cups coming up. Where can fans follow along with you on social media to keep up with all the action? Because you're a very busy person. Yeah, uh, my social media presence, uh, as it is, is not uh, incredible. I don't, I don't put a whole lot of effort in, uh, self-admittedly. But you can follow along on Twitter at ZachCampbell02, and then on Instagram at the same tag. Uh, I don't particularly post a whole lot on Instagram, but if you want to give me a follow there, then uh, I, I am more than happy to take it. So, Thank you very much for the time, Zach. Yeah, no worries. That's Zach Campbell. He drives in the Porsche Take or Esports Super Cup. It is one of the four top competitors in the championship standings heading into the eighth round of the season at the Nordschleifer at the Nürburgring coming up May the 7th. We come up after the break. It's the news of the week. You're listening to the iRacers download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosshue Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. Taylor Burris back here with Justin Prince, Richard Colbreth, our producer, as we finished our interview with winner at Spa for the Porsche Tag Warrior Esports Super Cup, none other than Zach Campbell with Coanda. And speaking of all things Porsche Tag Warrior Esports Super Cup, the race at Spa, Justin, was full of excitement, full of chaos, and I got to say, it's going to be interesting to see who will really come out on top. But let's talk a little bit more about Spa and the race going into that. I mean, watching some of the action where 
Webster and Campbell battle, but it all started off with Jamie Fluke having probably one of the best runs of his career this season, leading eight laps, but unfortunately one mistake cost him the chance of victory. That's usually the trends when it comes to a track like Spa, right? Where if you don't nail down a certain exit, you overshoot a little bit of a rumble strip, it really ends up costing you as a driver. And I think for a lot of the competitors, that was a major balancing act. When you even consider things such as how things fared out on the sprint race, a lot of the drivers in that respective race were to the point where they were rubbing against the rumble strips. Campbell at one point in the sprint race leading to that, here we got shoved off the track in sector two. That's how tight some of the racing was throughout that respective sprint to set up the grid in turn for the feature race. So in our words, with how you factor things out in terms of the various rules, in terms of the various positionings, you can't afford to make little mistakes if you're a driver such as Fluke or you're a driver in the championship hunt because you never know if you're going to get that true chance to pull off and away from then on out as a competitor. It certainly is, and it's going to be interesting to see how these are going to be able to continue on with this situation, because with three rounds left, like we touched on with Zach, Nürburgring, which is going to be very difficult for some of these drivers to go on and compete at. Also, if you think about it, we also have to consider the cir famous circuit of Le Mans and even also Monza, which are two very high-speed drafting-style circuits. You never know who could come out on top with those races because of just how unexpected and unpredictable those types of races are. These last three races in the championship will probably be some of the most intense and exciting for some of these drivers. And the question is going to be, can someone like Diego Pinto hold on and keep a cool head in these final few rounds? He's come off as somebody who, for one, has stepped up his game this season, but two, is someone who's just kept himself out of trouble, just has been able to score solid points by just trying to finish top five, go from there. There's a reason he's got the best average finish in the series right now and one of two drivers to finish every race inside the top five. He's been a walking fifth place in majority of these runs. And that's what can really win you a championship is being consistent. As long as Pinto, I think, keeps himself inside the top eight positions and qualifying all the way through the end of each of the feature races, he's in a great spot. That being said, remember the Nürburgring has been a track with plenty of fireworks in the past with Jobin, Maximilian Benecke, for example, coming out of the Dottinger Ho, for example. You also factor in the French countryside. That's a track where track position, I think, is going to be very important for the leaders to swap around down the Mulsanne straight. And then you bring in a track like Monza, where the opening sector in particular, that run to the first corner, absolutely chaotic on the starts. You kind of need to start ahead of the trouble. In our words, as Zach Campbell alluded to, qualifying all three rounds, if you want to win this championship, you need to nail it. You struggle in qualifying, it could take you out of the championship hunt entirely. It certainly can, and of course, as the championship, as it stands, Diego Pinto currently holds on with 371 points over Kevin Ellis Jr. with 359. Zach Campbell, he sits in fourth in the championship with Sebastian Job in third. Car Charlie Collins rounds out your top five. Pretty much, I'd have to say, Justin, unless something happens between our top four, it's basically a four-horse race for the championship. That's what I was saying with Zach Campbell, too, where... Based on the points difference, 31 points separate the top four drivers. I think that's the kind of group you realistically can have a chance to fight amongst. Charlie Collins, keep in mind, despite being fifth, 
He's got 268 points. That's 103 points back of the championship leader currently. I think Taylor as a driver, even if you take into the mathematics into account, that's basically expecting yourself to be near perfect and hoping all your competition struggles. And that is hard for that to happen. So in our words, for Collins, even if you add the mathematical equations to all that in terms of the mathematical eligibilities and points, he would need a perfect round, I think, to have a true chance at all to be amongst that top that championship grouping. If not, or if all the drivers do well, I think it's down to the top four by the end of the next round. It certainly is, and we'll have to see all the action once again on May 7th as they tackle the infamous green hell of the Nürburgring. Both the combined circuit, which is the GP and the Nordschleife circuit, which will catch all the action, starting with the All-Star Series at 1.30 with the big boys, the pro drivers, battling it out starting at 3 p.m. We continue our world of road racing as we talk about the Skip Barber Formula I Racing Series as a champion has been crowned. Mikel Gade clinches the championship by the victory at Sebring. And I got to say, for him, this is an opportunity that is going to be worth a lifetime, where he was able to win the championship and the $500,000 scholarship to be able to compete in the full-time season of the Skip Farmer Formula Series this season in 2022. And I think it's a huge, huge opportunity, first of all. Second thing, second... He's somebody that has been very competitive in the sim racing world for about four or five years or so now, where when he came into the scene, was one of its nearly instantly one of its top drivers competing for championships, especially in the Nordic-based championships. To see him be able to take the step up into the pro ranks at one point himself in his career, and also now get this huge opportunity in the Skip Barber series, I think pays the dividends and shows the example of how much hard work he had been putting in as a competitor. It wasn't an easy fight. Don't get me wrong. That's the thing because you had drivers like Elvis Rankin who were very quick. Deegan Fairclough. He was somebody who came up in the second half of the season looked very quick. It could have went in multiple different directions as the season went on. But for Miguel, he was able to close out those final standings in turn and hold off a lot of the drivers and have the best consistency, especially that first half of the year that helped him secure it. It certainly is. Now, don't worry. The rest of the top 10 will also get some prizes for drivers such as Nicholas Mateo. He will receive a half season scholarship to be able to compete in the half of the season of the 2022 Skip Barber Formula Series. Elvis Rankin will have the chance to compete for one race of his choosing of the season as they will all also receive a five-day competition licensing racing school and coaching from Skip Barber Racing School. For drivers such as Deacon Fairclaw and Matt Adams, they will also receive a one-day racing school from Skip Barber Racing School, while the remainder of the top 10 will receive an intro to the racing program. So a great opportunity for all 10 of these drivers here who competed in this entire championship. And as we also talked about Bobby Krug, there are several other people who received special prizes from Skip Barber and iRacing. And it's safe to say that this championship will return next year in 2023. Especially with how long Skip Barber's respective cars have been on the service when you think about things, as well as their desire on the esports side. And especially having someone like, like Mr. Krug in their camp, I think is going to be a major strength where I think they know and can see 
based on what we've heard and what we've seen with the series, the future opportunities for some of the drivers to be able to get discovered and get them chances to showcase what they can do in a real world car. I think the sky is the limit when it comes to this type of a partnership. Hopefully we do see it next year. Hopefully. I agree. Well, from the world of road course racing, it's time to get a little down and dirty as we talk about World of Outlaws competition. The World of Outlaws Late Model Pro Series, as well as the World of Outlaws Dirt Sprint Car Championships, both have received their schedules for both their qualifying series and for their world championship. Of course, Butt Kicker going on board with the Late Models and CarQuest sponsoring the Sprint Car World Championship. For the World of Outlaws Late Model Program, that kicks off for the Pro Qualifying Series on May the 2nd all the way to June the 6th. And then the Pro Series, the official championship partnered by Butt Kicker, kicks off on July 25th and runs all the way to October 3rd. And looking at this championship here for both the qualifiers and for the championship for both championships, Justin, it's going to be a very exciting championship. We have, of course, the summer schedule for the Pro Late Models and then, of course, a winter's calendar for the CarQuest Sprint Car Championship. That was a major question, I think, for me was when would they lay these schedules out? Because you have to remember, it used to be near this exact same structure when they had the two dirt series for World of Outlaws. Where you had late models when it came to the summertime, then you go to the sprint cars now towards the wintertime. That was towards that last campaign they held. I think for the late model community, it's an absolutely huge thing to have this series back into play. The amount of drivers I have already heard that are working on these respective races for the qualifying series is immense. To say the amount of work is going to be very difficult to get yourself in, I think, in particular for the late models this year, it's going to be major, to put it that way, depending on how things fare out. All I will say as well, though, is for Fairbairn all the way to the dirt track at Charlotte for July to October, that series going to be absolutely octane filled with some of the top competitors. I think there's going to be a lot of drivers who we didn't see in the past in the late models really step it up this time, especially some of the newcomers and up and coming drivers in the service. Certainly is. To give a quick rundown of at least the World Championship for the Butt Kicker World of Outlaws Late Model Championship, it's going to be going to Fairbury first on July 25th, then Cedar Lake, Eldora, Williams Grove, Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55, Kokomo, Knoxville, Weed Sport, Volusia, and then the season finale on October 3rd at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. For the sprint cars, of course, later on in the year, kicking off on November 28th, we kick things off at Volusia Speedway, followed by Kokomo, Williams Grove, Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55, Bristol Motor Speedway, Fairbury, Cedar Lake, Knoxville, Weed Sport, and the championship on January 30th, concluding at the dirt track at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Well, that's some pretty exciting news for the world of dirt racing. But now it's time to get a little bit back on pavement, back on track as we talk E-NASCAR competition. Both the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series was at Dover Motor Speedway and the E-NASCAR College iRacing Series headed to Watkins Glen International. Two very exciting races where we saw Nick Ottinger be the second driver of the season to score a second win in his season. And of course, Daniel Budafuco takes home another strong performance at Watkins Glen. Let's start off though with Dover in E-NASCAR competition. Justin, 
it was a race full of attrition, as we saw towards the end of the race, where it was very difficult to see if we would ever get a race ending under green flag conditions. But Nick Ottinger was able to hold off a hard-charging Corey Bisson and Stephen Wilson to take home the checkered flag. Especially after the flurry of light race restarts that came into play and Corey Vincent having a very strong jump going into the E-NASCAR overtime. But you have to remember that race really started with Michael Conti controlling a lot of the pace early on before, after spending more than 50 laps up front, being trapped a lap down because the pit cycles. Because keep in mind that that track with that distance showcased, it was about a one-stopper. And the major risk we both know is... The longer you go, the more likely you pop a tire at a track like Dover with the trends across all the cars on the service. Nick Oninger, though, absolutely there to pick up a lot of those pieces and control the rest of that race. Absolutely quick from the get-go, those respective drivers. It's been a very, very competitive year for both of them where we talked with Nick Oninger before where he had the qualifying speed but not the race pace compared to Michael Conti. This time, Michael Conti has slept up Nick Oninger right there to pick it up in the race. Certainly is. And talk about this as well, Justin. Three drivers disqualified from the race. We had Cody Bias, Keegan Leahy, and Bobby Zelensky disqualified from those races. So an extremely tough break for those who are trying to compete in the championship, especially our defending serious champion, Keegan Leahy, who finished in 28th disqualified. Not the season he's really been wanting to have. He's been having kind of the season where he has some decent results, but then there's some weeks where he just is absolutely not in the picture whatsoever. And think about this, a lot of drivers who we saw last season be so dominant, really not showing the pace we've been expecting here in 2022. Yeah, a lot of the drivers who I think were very strong with the Gen 6 car, with the high downforce, low horsepower package, they're kind of really struggling now back towards that downforce difference. And we talked about this with some of the NASCAR drivers before the start of the season. That's an adjustment period for many, and I think for some... That adjustment period is still going to be ongoing, possibly for the rest of the season in some cases. Keegan Leahy, he's just in 20th position right now with some of the luck he's had. Two top 10s. He was basically a walking top five much last year on a walking pole with him and Mitchell DeYoung last year for 23-11 racing. This year, many drivers who are in the bottom of the standings have some changes in scenery possibly, but also getting more comfortable with the car in of itself are absolutely seceding because of their comfortability. Femi in particular, Femi Odd-Ambosin, he has really silenced the doubters from his first season where he really struggled, and he's a walking top 10 as well with three top 10s in the opening rounds of the season. Not only that, but he's guaranteed a spot into the playoffs so far with his one win at Daytona, and he sits comfortably in third place in the championship standings behind, of course, Stephen Wilson in second. Nick Ottinger, your points leader, currently with 192 points. Then it's Matt Busa in fourth, Graham Bolin fifth. He's actually tied for fifth with Blake Reynolds. Then you have Casey Kerwin, Corey Vincent, Taylor Hurst, and Michael Conti inside the top 10 with his two wins. So he's got a little bit of work to do for Conti, but those two wins are definitely going to help secure him. Him for the playoffs later this season. The next round, of course, for the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series continues in two weeks' time on Tuesday, May the 10th at 8.30 as, Justin, we are in Kansas as we head to Kansas Speedway for the next round and the halfway point of the 14-race regular season. 
And if memory serves right, last year's race at Kansas had one of the massive ones of the year, where there was about a 20-car big one triggered at the front of the pack. Based on some of the trends this year, I think there's a chance of some craziness, to say the least, at Kansas. It's the question of which drivers will be able to follow the old brick road of keeping their car clean, making sure they pick the right calls, and make sure they aren't flown away into a tornado. <laughs> it certainly is. Hopefully no major tornadoes will happen. Of course, then we can catch all the action on all of iRacing and eNASCAR streaming services. We also touched on Daniel Budafoco going his second straight eNASCAR iRacing College Series victory at Watkins Glen in dominating fashion with a little bit of one of the boldest strategy calls. While most of the field pitted around the halfway point, Budafoco, well, he decided to stay out the entire race, relying on fuel saving through the second half of the race, which is an absolutely amazing performance for him, trying to hold on out there for 30 laps, and he did it in style by leading and finishing over a second ahead of Thomas Twomey, Logan Clampett, Stephen Wilson, and Garrett Lowe rounding out your top five. You know what I think that says? He did his homework. Because he mentioned on social media after the victory, he did a lot of preparation with some of the drivers in the NASCAR Coco iRacing Series and some of their technical alliance mates. I think for Budafuco, he had to have known based on some of the experiences seen at Watkins Glen. If you try and save hard, you can make 30 laps on the distance. That's been actually proven by some in official racing, in particular Garrett Maines comes to mind, who's been able to utilize and showcase that outside of the NASCAR competition, of course. But to do this, I think, was a sentiment with Budafuco that he felt confident in how he would have been potentially able to save. And he really capitalized, I think, on that in turn with him over Toomey, over Logan Clampett, over drivers, especially like Stephen Wilson, who really turned up the wick at the road course this time, but could only get back to fourth after leading the first 14, having about 14 laps led, should say, in the opening stages of the race. Budafuco absolutely did his homework, and it showed. It certainly did, and with that, he definitely picks up the wins there, and also, that concludes the championship for him, so we'll have to see how that will go about for him, but a great performance by Daniel Budafuco to take home his second career win. Well, the only news left in the week is to talk about is a new app. iRacing is pleased to announce that they are releasing a companion app for the iRacing service as they have acquired none other than the iSchedule app that was utilized for iRacing for iRacing users. The iRacing companion app will require an iRacing account to be used and will have the following features. See all of your license, statistics, and fastest times. Explore all of iRacing series. Mark your favorites with filters by license class, setup categories, and others. And then explore all of iRacing's tracks and cars by filters, as well as reminders for upcoming races. And get the latest news and stories from the iRacing website and UI. It is, of course, going to be still in progress utilizing the iRacing schedule or the iSchedule app currently. You can download it on the App Store and on Google Play. For more information, check out iRacing to learn out more by visiting www.iracing.com. With that, it's time that we come to a close for this week's episode of the iRacers Download. For our special guest, Zach Campbell, and my partner in crime, Justin Prince, and our producer, Richard Colbreth, I'm Taylor Burris. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the iRacers Download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crossing Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media.